0: Well, good morning, Peachtree. What a joy it is for us to celebrate uh, our seniors in high school today, helping to lead us in worship and for the opportunity for us to be a part of a community that is commissioning young people out into the world, out into college, to be able to experience the joy, the laughter, the life, and the love of Jesus Christ wherever they go. Um, I'm so glad that you're with us this morning and that we have a chance to continue in our series that's called Everyday Holy. And we're talking about the sacredness that can be found in each and every day. So we've been talking about sacred people and sacred spaces. And today we're gonna talk about sacred rhythm. You know, the first thing that God calls holy in the Bible is not a place and it's not a people, it's a day the first thing that God calls holy is a day, the Sabbath day, a day of rest. And yet when we talk about time in the Bible, we often only just kind of stay right there. We only discuss Sabbath and kind of the the work and life balance. And I wanna take us deeper in today to the richness of God's concept of rhythm and of time. I want to begin today with a story of uh, a time when I was, it was a gorgeous day outside, sitting out on this back patio for a restaurant, and I'm having lunch with an executive, and his eyes are just filled with tears. It had been over a year since his wife had passed when she had gone through the journey of her cancer, and his eyes were filled with tears, yes, because he missed her still, but it it was something even more than that. His eyes were filled with tears because of regret. For you see, it seems that every stage of their long marriage, they kept putting things off, things that they wanted to do together, particularly to travel. And, you know, with kind of a deep sigh, he, he looked at me and he said, I always thought that I'd have more, and you know how to fill in the blank. I always thought that I'd have more time. They thought that they would have more time together. And so uh, it's what Ellen Vaughn refers to as a when-then syndrome. When the kids graduate from college, then we'll do that. When we've paid off the mortgage, then we'll do that. When we retire, then we'll do that. We have this tendency to continue to just keep putting off what might be important until some, to- some kind of fictitious future date. And as a result, sometimes it never happens because we presume that we have time that we don't really have. You and I are the kind of people who are supposed to live in eternity. And in the midst of that eternity, our concept of time should be different from that of the rest of the world. Everybody in the world talks about how they're frustrated with not having enough time. And we can either deny it, we can either try to manage it, or we can try to manipulate it. And yet there's another way to experience time. I love how Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, if you knew you'd die today, do you know where you'd go? Is a good question. It's the classic evangelical question. But the better question is, if you knew you could live forever, what kind of life would you want to lead? In other words, our introduction into eternity is not just about how long life will last, but what kind of life will we live in the midst of it. And so we're going to invite one of our seniors to share today's scripture. It's a beautiful psalm from the Old Testament. It is Psalm 90. So let's hear and listen to the word of the Lord. Please join me in reading Psalm 90.
1: Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death They are like new grass in the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but in the evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. All of our days pass away under your wrath. We We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as fear, as the fear that is due to you. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have, com- have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have inflicted us for the many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: I hope you enjoyed the richness and the beauty and the layers of that text. But one of the things I specifically hope that you noticed I hope that you noticed all the different references to time. Let me share that with you. You can tell that there's all these different references to days and to years and even time into eternity. So five times talking about days and four times talking about the years and six times it was talking about eternity. And so this is a Psalm that is all about the layering and the beauty of time. Now, in the midst of that, this psalm is different from almost every other psalm in the Old Testament because of how old it is. This psalm is attributed to Moses. In other words, this psalm is probably 500 years older than most of the psalms that we have in the Bible that come to us, the vast majority of which from King David. And so today I want us to get beyond just talking about Sabbath keeping with regards to time. I want us to enter into this incredibly rich, deep text and discover a different way to live. How you open your day, how you order your day, how you close your day, and how you count your day. And so first, let's talk about how you open your day. And let's begin with the question, what's the first thing that you think you do when you wake up in the morning? When you wake up and open your eyes, what's the first thing you reach for, the first thing that you do? If you're anything like me and most people, you often reach and you have this prayerful posture and posture first thing in the morning. And that is, is that you immediately reach for your smartphone. It's amazing how 30 minutes can go by just seemingly in an instant when you have your phone and before you go to bed or before you rise in the morning. Now the interesting thing about waking up with your phone is that even social scientists say that it's not the greatest of habits to do. Here is why one business guru writes it. He puts it like this. He says, you're not the customer, you're the product. It's your attention that's for sale along with your peace of mind. You and I are the kind of people that wake up first thing in the morning and our first thoughts often shape the rest of our day. Um, They work really hard to try to capture your attention and to be able to shape the rest of the day by what you see first thing in the morning. It's built into all the timing of when marketers send emails and you receive notifications. And um, so I want you to think about this scripture. I don't know if you noticed it in the passage, but this is one of my favorite parts of this passage. It says this in verse 14, it says, satisfy us in the morning, with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Joy and gladness is available to us throughout the day and it starts with that satisfaction of something that comes first thing in the morning. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Notice that this text does not say satisfy us in the morning with a dopamine hit of finding and discovering something new on your smartphone or satisfy us in the morning with reading an article that confirms already what you believe about the world. Satisfy in the morning with doom scrolling and feeling better about ourselves because of how bad things are and at least they're not that bad with us. Satisfy us in the morning with a quick little game or a puzzle or whatever it is. These things are not bad in and of themselves, but the only way that we can experience joy and gladness is to be anchored in something deeper than that. It's the steadfast or unfailing love of God. You know, the rabbis used to teach that the first thing that you were to do before you got out of bed, and this was long before smartphones, was to say, love the Lord your God before you, know, before you got out of bed. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe for you, it wouldn't be that passage. Maybe it would be, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What's the first thing that we do in the morning? We ought to anchor ourselves to God's unfailing love. That is the key to the joy and the gladness and so that's how we can open our day and then the question is how do we order our day let's look and see how the text says it in verse 17 says it like this may the favor which is the same word as grace may the grace of our lord and our god rest on us establish the work of our hands for us yes establish the work of our hands. This is the very end of the psalm and it repeats it. Establish the work of our hands, establish the work of our hands. It's a verb that means to like, to stand up, to propped up, to to put into order, to erect and to make upright. What the psalmist is praying about is, can the work of my hands be something that actually endures? It actually lasts. Remember the context for this psalm. I told you it was it was hundreds of years before when most of the other psalms are written. It was passed down from generation to generation. This psalm was written and kind of given in a time of this area. This is known as the Sinai Peninsula. It was a time of the wilderness. And remember for a whole generation, they're wandering in the wilderness. And I want you to think about what work would have been like in the wilderness. You couldn't build anything. You couldn't do anything that wasn't temporary. And so they were about to go from this period of bondage and slavery in Egypt through the wilderness of a generation of wandering. And they were about to enter into the promised land where maybe they could establish a society and a community of people for whom they could truly build something that lasts. One of the books that I've been reading during this period of time is a great uplifting book. It's known as The Great Mortality, and the subtitle says it all, An Intimate History of the Black Death, The Most Devastating Plague of All Time. I'm sure you were gonna rush out and buy this book right now, but it is a fascinating read about what happened in the most devastating plague during the 14th century, what is known as the Black Death. And in the midst of this, there was a great deal of surprise as to what happened when the plague was finally over. As we are getting to the point where this COVID plague is about to end, and by the way, the plague of the Black Death lasted for seven or eight years. This is much shorter what we're dealing with than what they had to deal with then. The author writes this, Survivors drank intoxicatingly, fornicated wildly, spent lavishly, ate gluttonously, dressed extravagantly everywhere. Survivors luxuriated in the sudden abundance of a commodity that only a few months earlier had seemed so fragile, so perishable. Time, wonderful, glorious, infinite time. And so one of the observers from that time wrote this, It was thought that people whom God by his grace and life had preserved would become better, humble, virtuous, and overflowing with love and charity for one another. But the opposite happened. Men gave themselves over to disorder. And so the conclusion of the author at the end of the Black Death was this, the one thing even the Black Death could not change was human nature. Here they were about to give their freedom. Here they were about to receive new life and the gift of time that had been so elusive to all of them, watching so many people die. And how did they respond to that? They didn't respond to that with goodness, but with disorder. They responded by giving their lives over to things that weren't really gonna last. When the Bible says, establish the work of your hands, it is a prayer that what we do with our lives will really matter, that it will last. And so the Bible's primary concern is not time management, it's how we will orient our time around a godly kind of life. You and I have been given an incredible gift of still being alive and we shouldn't take it for granted and we shouldn't squander it. How are you not only opening your day How are you ordering your day around the purposes of God in the world? And then the third thing is to ask, how are you counting your day? How are you numbering your day? You know, in the midst of today's frantic world, there's an author by the name of John Mark Comer who has given you the ability to take a little personal inventory to assess how susceptible you are to hurry sickness, I want to put this up on the screen and ask you to do just kind of a, a little thought about how you're doing on these different qualities your irritability, your hypersensitivity, your restlessness, your workaholism, emotional numbness, your disordered priorities, escapist behaviors, absence of spiritual disciplines and your isolation. You might even wanna take a picture of of these attributes and you might even a little later, you want to kind of give yourself a score on a scale of one to 10. How am I doing on restlessness right now? 10 being like, you know, I'm really restless or one being that you're at peace. You know, he he has done this with a lot of groups and he says it's amazing how high people score on that scale, that we are suffering from not just the pandemic of what we're dealing with today, but there's been other pandemics that have been ravaging through society for a long time. And a lot of that has been our hurry and our busyness. I love how this one author describes the impact of hurry. He says it like this. He says, hurry means that we gather impressions, but have no experiences. That we collect acquaintances, but make no friends. That we attend meetings, but experience no encounter. We must recover eternity if we are to find time. That was written in 1958. Imagine what that author would say about you and me in the digital age. Hurry is something that takes away our sense of eternity. You know, one of the remarkable things about God is that God never seems to be in a hurry. A.W. Tozer once said that time doesn't pass for God. It is something that he inhabits. In fact, God is eternal, and I know it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it, but uh, the psalmist describes it this way in verse 4, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. When, uh, when Albert Einstein was describing his theory of relativity, he was describing how um, you, if you were spending uh, time with a beautiful new young woman, that, um, that when you were enraptured by her attention, that in that conversation, time could by so quickly, and yet if you were doing some laborious chore, it seemed to last forever, that time bends. And then what he amazingly discovered is that that's not just true experientially, it's true in reality, that at the speed of light, that, that time takes on a whole new character, we believe that God is outside of time, outside of eternity. As C.S. Lewis says, God has all of eternity to listen to your prayers. And when we allow that sense of eternity to come into the each and every day, it can change us. And we have a new sense of the preciousness of each and every day. The Psalmist talks about how we might only live 70 or 80 years in this life. And yet we are creatures that live on for generations and generations into eternity. And so I love, this is maybe one of my favorite phrases from this prayer, puts it like this, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. When we number our days, when we count our days, when you are the kind of person who can get to the point where you are able to savor the preciousness of each and every day, that is when we have truly dipped our toes into eternity. And so we open our day and we order our day and we count our days. And according to the Psalm, one of the most important things to do is to close your day. It's a true story of a woman who's a priest in the Anglican tradition, her name is Tish Harrison Warren. And Tish was pregnant and they were at a dinner party with some friends over at their house when all of a sudden she started to hemorrhage. She was rushed to the hospital and she knew that things were really bad. And so she turned to her husband and she said, I want to say Compline. Can we say our evening prayers? Here was a woman who had prayed every single night the same prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. This is how that prayer goes. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. Amen. In that moment of crisis, she wanted to lean on the prayer that she had said each evening as she had prayed for God to keep watch over the world, asking God now to keep watch over her and her child. I wanna show you a picture of a friend. His name is Rick Muchow. Rick uh, was the worship leader for Saddleback for over 25 years. Rick's son was Brandon who was uh, our worship leader at my previous church in California. And so Rick would often lead with his son Brandon and he would often come and when Brandon was on vacation he would lead for him. It was a challenging season in Rick's life when uh, he ended up leaving Saddleback Church because the church wanted to get younger and felt like that he was kind of past his prime. And it wasn't long after that transition that Rick was also diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of brain cancer. The amazing thing to me is that through all the conversations I had with Rick, after his difficult departure from Saddleback, as well as, as the midst of his disease, there never seemed to be an ounce of bitterness in his soul. You know, when you hung out with Rick, his joy, his attention was fully given to you. Borrowing a musical analogy, I would say we were hanging out with Rick, it felt like He was on a different metronome, a different rhythm. It's almost as if he was tuned into eternity. And I think he really was. That he didn't just sing about songs of eternity. He inhabited them. Rick wrote a song where he said, I will praise you, Father God, for your love and your faithfulness. I will praise you. I will praise you. I will praise you in the midst of the storm. I will praise you when I'm in need. Back against the wall, I will praise your name. I will praise you for your love and your faithfulness. For your faithfulness sustains me. The eternal nature of God. God's incredible quality of being from generation to generation. That is what kept Rick anchored. This last week, Rick Muchow went to be with the Lord and graduated to the Church Triumphant. Not before he met his newest grandbaby. And I believe that when Rick entered into the Church Triumphant, he was already calibrated with the rhythms of eternity. And because of that, he didn't just wait to get to heaven in order to dwell with God. That he had started to dwell with God here on earth. Here is how Psalm 90 opens. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is from everlasting to everlasting. Do you dwell there with him? He invites you to do so. And you don't have to wait till you die or till you are in the midst of a crisis. You can start now. And so let me ask you, let me put a recap of what we've talked about today. On Psalm 90, do you need to do something different to open your day, to order your day? to count your day or to close your day? Is there some little change where you can not only think about if I were to die today where I know where I would go, but that if I knew I could live forever, what kind of life would I wanna lead? This is the invitation to eternal living. This is a whole new concept of time to be reoriented to the rhythms of God's grace and that his unfailing love, his steadfast love, is what enables us to be able to inhabit the space that he has given to us. And so you don't have to be frustrated or feel like that you're always running out of time. You've got plenty of it, as long as you're living for eternity with him. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for a mind-bending, paradigm-busting new way of thinking about the way that we have our days, that it's not just about running out of time. And so we don't just have to manage time or manipulate it or try to squeeze everything out of it. Instead, God, we can, we can rest in your everlasting nature and we can inhabit time because you have entrusted us and put eternity in our hearts. Thank you for the wisdom of this ancient prayer. Thank you that it reminds us of what to do in the morning and how to orient around you and not just our own desires. Help us, God, to think differently about the numbering of our days, that they're not just running out, and how to be able to close each and every day by leaning on your everlasting arms. Thank you, God, for these seniors and for all of the time that seems to be ahead of them is nothing compared to the eternity that is available to them. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen.